This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 446 of the Stable Scoop Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Horselovers.com, Uncle Jimmy's, and Fairfield Inn, North Lexington, Kentucky. Learn about the rare Marwari horses of India with Dr. Maria Katsmani. Horses in History takes us to Theodore Roosevelt's horse, Manitou, and the Horselover.com product review is the Noble Outfitters Men's Mud Cold Front High Boots. Listen in. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. We bring you the news through hell, high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenda Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, howdy, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Stable Scoop Show. I want to thank my wife for filling in last week. I wasn't feeling very well last week. I had a bad Lyme week. So uh, she was able to help out. And I hope you two had fun. We had... (laughs) Get fun. You know, it's <laughs> Helena never argues when I say, oh, Jennifer's going to have to fill in. She's like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I get so excited and I get to talk to Jen. And you know what? Before we actually started taping, we're like, okay, let's talk about this. We were going to talk about plastic jumps and, uh, you know, like PVC rails and standards and all that stuff. And we totally didn't even talk about that. We start the tape and we just went, I was like, how are you? How's Nigel? And the next thing you know, 25 minutes goes by and we've had a conversation that has nothing to do with plastic chumps. <laughs> this is why we don't let you do together very often. <laughs> it is, you know, that's, that's true. True story. But, you know, I did get a chance to go out riding for the first time in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you've had yesterday. warm weather up there. Yes, with my husband. It was oh, very wow. warm. It's in like the 50s here. So we decided to take the boys out for a spin around town. And um, I took Buck on a, a route that he'd never been before. And he was just giddy because we passed all kinds of interesting sights and sounds and a herd of little miniature donkeys that was exciting. Were they terror donkeys? Did they scare the horses? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Birdie, like, Birdie, he somehow can contort himself into the letter C and move forward. I mean, there isn't even a dressage name for that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he the uh, d- we we call them zombie donkeys because yeah. they just terrify the horses. <laughs> I don't know what it is about donkeys, but yeah, t- it's consistently terrifying to be around a donkey when you're a horse. I was like, okay, Buck, we're going to come up on the donkeys in a minute, so just put your leg on. I said, we're going to march right through. I said, two legs, two reins, eyes straight ahead, and just march. And he's like, la, 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 but they're so cute, you know? So I'm like, I'm (laughs) putting my leg on Brody, and Brody's like, all right, I'm going. I don't like this, but I'm going. And then I turn around, and I look at Buck, and he and Dog Dog are standing there in the middle of the road, (laughs) and Dog Dog's eyes are 
wide open and and Buck's like, look, he's fascinated by them. He thinks they're so interesting. And I'm thinking to myself, explosion in three, yeah, two, two, <laughs> right in the middle one. of the road. <laughs> Which always goes well. That always goes well. <laughs> You know, to like, be naive is such a wonderful thing, right? What's that? <laughs> to be naive is such a wonderful thing. Ignorance uh, is bliss. <laughs> Till you hit the ground. Till you hit the ground. That's right. Well, I'm glad you got to go out and ride. I know there's a lot of people in the northern part of the country that uh, finally had a little break and are getting out to ride before the next big blizzard comes in. So, uh, so that's good. You know, yeah. I got a, a couple things that we're going to get right to the show here. We have a lot to do today. But uh, I wanted to give our best to Neil, who is our editor of our shows. Uh, he We started with him from Wild Style Media about, what, a year ago, Helena? About a year. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Neil is also the editor of The Messengers Movie, which you've heard us talk about, a movie about podcasting that premieres this Friday night in Orlando. And he's been up 24 hours a day working on getting everything done. Making a movie is not as easy as putting out a podcast. So there's a lot to it. There, He said there was... And putting eight, out a podcast is not easy. Get this, 80 gigabytes of footage they filmed. Wow. 80 gigabytes of footage. So he's out, uh, you know, he's editing everything, trying to put it all together into an hour-long package and and get it out there for the world to see. And, and to do the premiere, we have 600 people coming Friday night for the premiere of this movie. And, he, you know, they've been working on it all night last night. And then, unfortunately, about 5.30 this morning, this Tuesday morning, uh, his wife's father died. Uh, oh. Naomi's fa- his father-in-law died. Uh, he was sick, but he, you know, this came as a surprise, died of heart attack. And so he's got that on top of everything else. And we just want to give him and Naomi uh, our best uh, and that uh, let them know that we're thinking about them. Everybody at the Horse Radio Network is thinking about them and wishing them the best. And we're going to do whatever we can to help you this week, buddy. We'll, we'll get through it. We're all behind you, Neil. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that there's an update to the Horse Radio Network app. You'll see it uh, probably pop up on your phone. Uh, be sure you do the update. It has the three new shows on it that we have out. The Plaidcast, which is if you're into hunters and jumpers, is the weekly show for hunters and jumpers put out by the Plaid Horse magazine. Also, the WEG show, the 2018 WEG show. We have three episodes now. The last episode was Driving 101, where we talk all about combined driving during the WEG. And we've done eventing, so if you missed those two, check them out on the app. The 2018 WEG show with Samantha and I, and it's good to be working with Samantha again. And then the brand new show, only has one episode out, is called Around the Track. It's put out by the Pollock Report, which is one of the biggest websites for the racing world, thoroughbred racing world. And I can officially say that in one week, it's had more downloads than any other show we've ever started. So if uh, if you're into racing at all, then check that out. And he had a good, he interviewed Michael Blowen of Old Friends, the uh, organization that takes in retired thoroughbreds there in... Yeah, we had him on. Yeah. Well, he had Michael on, but he had, it was an excellent interview. It's very NPR-ish. It's a little different feel than any of our other shows. And Scott, who is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Pollock Report, did the interview and is the host of that show. And he was an NPR guy for a long time. 
So it has a completely different feel. It's an excellent show. And he, ta- he had Michael talking about things we had never heard before. So it, it's really neat. Get, take a listen. He's going to kind of get behind the scenes of the racing world. It's not going to be about betting or, you know, what horses are hot now. This is going to be more behind the scenes. So if you like that kind of thing or any of the other shows I mentioned, make sure you do the update on the Horse Radio Network app, iOS and Android. Love well, it. Right after this word from Fairfield Inn in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm getting so excited. It's less than a month that I go for Road to the Horse. Uh, you're, we're going to hear from Gail Stewart with our Horses and History segment. Fairfield Inn and Suites North by Marriott Lexington is the ideal hotel for you as they are the closest hotel to the Kentucky Horse Park. They have the most spacious guest rooms and suites in the area, and they're only four miles from downtown Lexington. Fairfield Inn and Suites North offers complimentary breakfast, free Wi-Fi throughout the hotel, free parking, a business center, an indoor swimming pool and jacuzzi, an outdoor patio with grill, laundry facilities, and much more. You get hungry, Cracker Barrel is located right next door, and there are four other dining options available within walking distance for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Of course, Lexington is known for the Kentucky Horse Park, University of Kentucky, Keeneland, and the historical Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Enjoy a terrific hotel experience while you're touring Lexington. There's no denying that the Lexington North Fairfield Inn & Suites is the best value in town and will meet all your hospitality needs. Just Google Fairfield in North Lexington and make your reservations today. Well, we're back here on the Stable Scoop Show with one of our favorite monthly guests. Her name is Gail Stewart. She wrote The 100 Horses in History, True Stories of Horses Who Shaped Our World. And we're going back in history to take a look at a horse today. Hi, Gail. Hello. How are you? Good. Now, where are we? What? What era are we diving into? Okay, if this is a story from the 1880s, and it is about the favorite horse of our 26th president, Theodore Teddy, T.R. Roosevelt. And um, Teddy, as you all may know, he was raised in a very patrician, wealthy, prestigious New York City family. And but he, as a child, he was. He was asthmatic and had bad eyesight, so the way he countered this was to be very athletic and to uh, follow an an aggressive, vigorous, uh, rugged lifestyle. Well, um, everything was going his way in 1884. He was 25 years old and was a um, a New York State assemblyman. He had degrees from Harvard and Columbia Law School, and his wife, Alice, was expecting their first child. Then on Valentine's Day, tragedy struck, and his wife died of uh, from complications of childbirth, and his mother died of rheumatic fever, the same house, the same day, Valentine's Mm. Day, 1884. So as you can imagine, his world was turned upside down, and he decided to go west to try and heal himself and he went to the badlands of what today is North Dakota and he learned he wanted to be one he wanted to be a cowboy he wanted to rope and ride and brand the calves and lead a vigorous lifestyle in a way that he might leave the grief behind him and so it was there that he met this wonderful horse named Manitou and Manitou, we don't know much about Manitou. He looked to me from the photos like a uh, quarter horse type, 
sorrel or, or bay, and he had a, a pretty little star on his face and a snip on his nose. And, and and it was Manitou, really, who provided a balm for his broken heart. He rode this horse. He hunted on him primarily. They hunted pronghorn antelope, deer, elk, bighorn sheep, because he because TR wanted to feed the cowboys, had to feed the cowboys on his two ranches there in the Badlands. And um, the, the horse's name, as I said, is Manitou, which is a uh, an Algonquin Indian name for a spirit with supernatural power. We don't really know who named him, but um, he evidently TR found him there in in South Dakota and there's one wonderful story he rode this horse everywhere he loved him he was his favorite horse and um it, he TR was out there in April of 1885 the year after this tragedy and he was he and and Manitou were exploring along the Little Missouri River and he was they they needed to cross the river and he was TR was advised to go down the river a ways and cross over on a railroad bridge supported by trestle. Well, that was too much of a circuitous route. He didn't do anything that way. He went straight across. And so he encouraged Manitou to, to walk across the top of a submerged dam across this roaring, freezing Little Missouri River. Oh my well, gosh. Poor, Manitou, <laughs> poor Manitou stumbled and they both fell head over hooves into this river. Well, it didn't take long. They both popped up, and T.R. started swimming in front of Manitou and was guiding him across the river and pushing ice chunks out of the way, and they made it safely to the other side. And he had such a good time doing that that two days later, they did it again. (laughs) (laughs) for fun. So there must have been an incredible trust between these two. Um, he said about Manitou, he said, my own hunting horse, Manitou, is the best and most valuable animal on the ranch. He's stoutly built and strong, able to build a, able to carry a good-sized buck behind his rider at a lope without minding in the least. He's enduring, hardy, sure-footed, willing, spirited, gentle. It's evident he is as nearly perfect as can be the case with hunting horse flesh. And it shows how much he loved that horse. He said, Manitou is a treasure, and I value him accordingly. So um, in 1886, um, T.R. lost most of his his cattle to a bad blizzard and overgrazing, and he went back to New York for good. And so I, evidently that's where Manitou leaves the story. We didn't hear any more about him taking Manitou back with him. But he, he loved that horse, and um, there's a fabulous photograph that Harvard has, Harvard University, and it shows Teddy. He's like probably 26 at the time. He's in a specially made outfit, buckskin outfit that he designed himself, and he's wearing this beautiful wide-brimmed hat. It doesn't look like a cowboy hat as we would think of them today. And he had he carried a bowie knife, a big silver bowie knife that was fashioned by his friends at Tiffany's there in New York. And <laughs> Tiffany <laughs> bowie knife. I'm liking this story more and more as every word that comes out of her mouth. Well, you know, a real so gold funny. watch made of gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you 
and 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 ivory and ivory handled pistol is on his hip, and he said, you know, the cowboys looked at him as a New York aristocrat, a dandy, but he wanted to look the part, and by the end of his tenure there, he was respected as a real cowboy, which is what he wanted to do. So after, after, um, well, and Manitou in this photograph. It looks like the photo was taken right after they'd had a pretty heavy, long run. Manitou's head is kind of down, his nostrils are flared, and he's got white foam sweat on his neck. And, and Teddy's standing there like a cowboy, you know, like Matt Dillon. And, he and looks like he's right. I'm, like, I'm looking at the picture in your book. He looks like he's right out of the movie set, an old Warner Brothers movie. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah, see him and see, see yeah. the sweat on the horse, and he looks like... Well, I'm kind of tired. He's like, <laughs> and you know what, Helena? He's. It looks like he's wearing half chaps, and I didn't know they had half. They called him something else back then, but it's half chaps, is what they are. I don't know. Yeah, it, it does because yeah. they were custom made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I it's just there. He he just everything he did, he did over the top, and so that must have been why Manitou was really so important for him, and and then. After it was over, you know, he wrote all these books, and he said, in basically describing his grief and how he worked through it, he said, black care rarely sits behind a rider whose pace is fast enough, and that's how he dealt with his with his grief. He went back to New York. He, be, he had he got married again, had five more children, and then was elected president. Well, he wasn't elected president. He was became the uh, sec, the the youngest president at 42 when McKinley was was assassinated. But then he won after that in the election. Um, he was quite quite a uh, a, a conservationist. He um, established five national parks, 150 national forests national monuments and bird preserves and and he attributed a lot of it to Manitou his good old hunting horse (laughs) (laughs) that was a true hunting horse too when you hunted off of yeah 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 you know and and uh um Roosevelt is was five eight and I was trying to see how tall that horse was he had to be close to 16 hands in this picture it's what it looks like yeah, which is pretty good size because you had thought he would have been something quarter horse Mustangy. Had some Mustang influence in there somewhere, Spanish horse uh, back in eighteen hundred. So you would think you would think that would be the case, but uh, there are so many stories about Teddy Roosevelt, and he wrote a lot down, so there was a lot recorded. Uh, oh yes, yeah. he liked to write. Yes, he- what a trip. He did. He wrote, I like, I don't know, <laughs> 50 books or something. But it just shows to sh- goes to show. I mean, how how. Writing can can soothe a person's soul. Any even Teddy Roosevelt discovered that, and uh, Manitou was a just his best buddy, his favorite horse, his best friend. Well, you can find more of those stories in a hundred horses in history. Brought to you by Gail Stewart, and you can find it on Amazon. Do you have a website, Gail? Yes, uh, www.100horsesinhistory.com. 100horsesinhistory.com. Before you go, Gail, have you read the story about the Irish battling the English for Napoleon's horse? Um, Are you talking about Marengo? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, Marengo. Have you read... Marengo. Yes. Marengo. He's, they have his skeleton on display at a museum in England. And 
they that ha- that happened after Napoleon lost a battle in the English years ago in the seventeen. I think it was the seventeen hundreds. Oh yes, uh, eighteen oh four was the I, battle of um, Waterloo. Yes, so eighteen oh four, Marengo ends up getting injured, like in five places during this battle, uh-huh. and Napoleon catches a ride on a cart out of the battlefield, so he gets out of the battlefield. His horse uh, is injured in five places, gets captured by the British, and then the British keep him, and the horse actually lived to, like, 50, 30 years old, considering oh, his... Yeah, lived. Yeah, <laughs> Napoleon, Napoleon just Napoleon. left him there? Like, yes, right, well, well the, now, so he got, the horse got captured, yes, is what he happened. Outlived. Yeah, he Yeah, that, no, I don't know that story. Well, he outlived Napoleon. Yes, well, he ended up, the, his skeleton ended up in in terrible shape, but in a museum in England, <laughs> and then finally a different museum in England in the 1960s, the National Army Museum took the skeleton and refurbished it, restored it, and it has been on display there. Well, now, right now, there's a big battle because there's a town called, let me see if I get this right, um, <clears throat> It's a townspeople of Bettevant County Cork in Ireland have declared that the bones are theirs because they say that the horse was Irish bred and was born there and sold there at an auction, which is how it ended up in Napoleon's stables and and the rest oh. of the story goes on. So they want the skeleton back. <laughs> So there's this battle between the English and the Irish about this. And then there's this other Irish town who's now claiming that the skeleton's theirs because they're claiming that that the horse was sold at their auction in their town. So there's this war going on for this poor skeleton of Napoleon's uh, horse. Uh, you you got to look it up and read it. It would be great for your next book. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. You know, isn't it funny, all the horses who have been preserved... Um, I visited um, Winchester at the uh, in at the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, and there he is. He he was the horse that Sheridan rode down from Winchester to the Battle of Cedar Creek, and he's he's around the corner from Julia Child's kitchen, but his whole body is there. <laughs> Why do I think that's and, funny? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that we want to put those two things together. <laughs> I know. No, you're probably right. But it is funny how how much we love these horses, and and they are preserved in many in many cases. Some of them. Yep. Well, uh, I I think by the time this is done, there'll be other people in in the battle for for Napoleon's horse. So well, we Glenn, thank you for the tip. I'm going to research that and update my story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely look it up because uh, it was an interesting story. It really was. All right. Thank thank thanks, Gail. Thank you. I appreciate it. And you all have a happy day. Hello, folks. Uncle Jimmy here, and welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy brand products, where funny names mean serious products. Featuring Uncle Jimmy's Squeezy Buns, the squeezably soft hand treat that your horse will love, the award-winning Uncle Jimmy's Hangin' Balls, Uncle Jimmy's Sugar-Free Ball, the incredible Licky Thing, also in sugar-free, the amazing Uncle Jimmy's Pecker Wrecker, and the Big Licky. The infamous Uncle Jimmy Hangin' Ball was first designed by me for my own horses to help reduce the bad habits which come from stall boredom. It now can be found around the world. This nutritious flavored filled boredom buster will help keep your horses occupied and happy around the clock. Properly hung, it will last for weeks, provided you don't let your horse pin it, and Uncle Jimmy knows who you are. 
The ball comes in four flavors, apple, carrot, peppermint, molasses, and now sugar-free. Once again, welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy's brand products, where funny names mean serious products, and satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. Well, we're going to welcome Dr. Maria Katsumani, and she's going to talk to us today about a really cool, very rare horse breed, and I'm going to try to say the name. I I was all confident about it, but now I'm getting a little <laughs> concerned. They're the um, Marwari horses. Did I say that right? That is excellent, Elena. That's great. That was well, this is a beautiful breed. I know absolutely nothing about it, but apparently it has a very a fascinating and rich history. So welcome to the show and, and uh, tell us about these horses. First of all, thank you so much for having me. And um, it's, it's always a pleasure and a delight for me to, to talk about them. Um, so the Marwari, I'm very privileged to, to um, own one, or I suppose he owns me. Uh, the um, 21, by the way, I have to say, that's interested in knowing more about it. If, if, um, if they're really, really, it's a fascinating breed. There's so much information out there. That I always try to direct people to resources that are viable and reliable. Uh, the Indigenous Horse Society of India, if you do a Google search, they have a website, Indigenous Horse Society of India, Francesca Kelly and her partner, Bonnie, um, in India, have um, probably the more reputable, I, I believe, um, historical and accounts of where the breed is going and their history, I think, that, that um, we're, we have found. But the breed itself is one of the rarest horses in the world. And for uh, I have some photos on my Facebook page, and you see the little ears. They're known, actually, um, kind of... Um, in the horse community uh, in a cute way because of their ears because when the ears come together they form the shape of a heart hmm. and when they and they go back it's uh, they look like a celtic harp so they are known as the heart-shaped ear horses of india uh they are um they their history is interesting because they were the uh war horses of the maharaja and for, you know, centuries, the only ones that really were able to ride them were uh, nobility, Indian nobility warriors. And uh, so the history is very, very rich. Uh, currently, they are designated as the rarest horse in the world, <laughs> uh, long I believe with the Akateki. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the fact that we don't see them is uh, there's only about a, a just under 30 outside of India. And uh, there's a ban of export. And that's why uh, they're not as popular. They're not very well known, but because really, uh, the Indian government has banned the export of the horses. <clears throat> and Francesca Kelly and Bonnie and the Indigenous Horse Society of India is really um, working very hard to um, educate people about the breed, and promote the breed, and ensure their uh, safety and and viability for lifetimes to come. Now, it's not a very tall um, breed. It, it looks like they average between 14-2 and 15-2 hands, but they have a very stately presence. Um, well, how would you describe their, their body type? I mean, you know, we've got our sort of stocky quarter horse types here in America, and then we've got the long and lean thoroughbreds. How would you describe the typical conformation of the Marwari? Yeah, the Marwari is, uh, you know, they're <clears throat> They are, first of all, um, a very, very uh, 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 noble 
uh, animal. If you spend time with them, I have about right now seven of them on my property here and own one of them, a, a Marwari stallion. They're, all of them have a, a very, very, um, very noble creatures. Uh, they're as dainty as they are. They are very hardy. Uh, in, they have incredible endurance. They're built a little bit, uh, I would say, uh, because of the next set, and a little bit like, um, I would say, maybe an American saddlebred, a uh, smaller version of it. Um, and and it, there's such variety, too, within the breed. If you go to India, you see even bigger and, and stockier Amarwari than maybe the herd that we have here. So there is a lot of variation, I have to say, in the um, conformation. Uh, because those also Marwaris have, there's some mixing of Kasthwari blood. There's a smaller breed uh, of that area and, and so forth. So the you see a lot of variation in terms of the, uh, even the height. I mean, I've seen Marwaris at about 16 hands and, and really, really broad, almost look like a Lusitan or, or Andalusians with heart-shaped ears. Um, but in ge- generally speaking, these are animals that have not been necessarily bred for purpose. In other words, if you think of your general breed like a quarter horse or your thoroughbred, they've been bred for a task, either to um, race or to, to have a certain function or draft horses or, or bred for a function. Uh, uh, warm bloods are bred for function, sport horses. These guys um, were not, and there's something a little wild about them. I mean, I think Wikipedia d- d- describes them as unpredictable and tenacious, and I would say that there's something about them that's very stately, noble, and extremely elegant. And you have to be in a very tactful individual to be able to have the rapport with them that gives them their legendary, um, uh, they're known for legendary loyalty. And, and I, I you know, I don't think I've them. ever put, I don't think I've ever heard horsemanship put quite so beautifully. You have to have the tact to basically engage with this animal to bring out the best in them. Um, that's right. I, I, I really think that's probably life advice that I want to let that sink in for a little bit, bit to, for myself and for our listeners is that so many times we get on the backs of these horses and we forget that it is, it's our job to treat them with a certain amount of respect and care, and they will give us the very best that they have. And for a breed like this one, where it's absolutely essential, you know, because sometimes for some horses, and I think a lot of really seasoned, um, like when you, when you started talking about the horse's personality and being a little bit wild, I got excited. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and there are people, I think there's some very seasoned horsemen and women who like that, understand the wild side, the thinking side of a horse like this, you know, a lot of Arabians are like this as well. And, um, you do have to exercise a lot of tact because you have to have a conversation with this animal. And when you meet them at that level, you know, it's hard, it's when you can, um, appreciate the fact that there's an intellect in there. Now it might be an equine intellect, but it's an intellect nonetheless. And when you can meet them at that level and engage with them that way, I do think that you can bring out, um, the very best in them. So I just love that you, you just put it that way. Thank you for saying that, Elena, because it's not just, you know, with every, I mean, one of the things I promote or try to promote worldwide is that, 
coming to the horse with that kind of a mindset and all that it involves and entails and the richness of the relationship you can have when you decide not to push and pull on an animal. But I'll tell you, the breed itself, you know, they're sensitive, but they're very sensible. There's something very sensible about them. I, I, I mean, you can only... I can only I can speak about it in words. You have to come and see it. I, and I always invite the public to 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 under, to come and see it because you can have a horse that seems kind of in a panic and, and a loss. And I walk in, I say, "Baba, stop! Hey, stop!" He right away they stop. Like if they know you're their human. They trust uh, your um, your guidance, and uh, they believe in you. And I think uh, for me, uh, when I started uh, working with them. I've always been a sensitive person, but I'll tell you, it opened up another world for me because um, you can put one rider on that horse and it's a disaster. Another person, <laughs> it, it will look beautiful. And I, I developed a, just such a deep appreciation um, for the, um, and not just me as a trainer trying to teach them something, but just the dialogue and how simple it can be. Uh, I could just, uh, I remember teaching the Jambet to my stallion and I never had to use, for example, you know, the idea for us of the animal as a stimulus response creature. If you think of Pavlov's dog, you know, yeah. good boy treat. Um, they are way above that, way beyond that. There's a, there's a, there's an energetic language that when we start to believe in that, these, these horses in particular, I, I found in having worked with them respond tremendously well to that and there's a dignity that's preserved in that and they have such appreciation for you and respect for you that they'll do walk through fire oh, and I... it has nothing to do with desensitizing them or or it's just that you they feel together with you and for you they would um they give their heart and they're known for that that's in the indian folklore they have known for their heart and loyalty to that particular person they're very bonded in that way and i think well, that's what made them um, good war horses, their, right? Right? I mean, Maria? Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the description right there of a war horse. Uh, uh, and, and I was reading, too, and I thought, thought this was interesting, that because obviously the Mongolians in history had an influence over that whole part of the world, because they basically conquered it all at one point. Um, but they that they have a lot of the same traits as some of the Mongolian breeds, and and that makes sense, uh, especially saying that a lot of the Mongolian breeds were probably brought to India at some point or another in in the past. They're all related at, at, when you go way back. Why the ears, though? Is there a reason that they have the pointy in ears? <laughs> That's such a great question. Um, you know, I read so many things that uh, I, ca- I can't say uh, definitively, but it, I've heard things ranging from, uh, but before I can answer that question, I have to say that within two crossbreedings that e- the ears are lost. Oh, wow. So if you take a Marwari, huh. yeah, and you breed them and you cross them again, they, they, they will lose the ears. So there's something very particular to that breed about the ears. Huh. Um, I have to say that the one the one theory I've heard is that because they've um, they're from the Marwar region of India. I mean, if you think of India, the western province of Rajasthan is really de- between um, India and Pakistan. You see a lot of desert, open desert, and the I, one of the theories I had heard was with the winds blowing this way, you needed a horse that can move its ears, or it can the sand won't blow in it. And oh. in in that particular way, 
Yeah, because of the mountain ranges and the and the and the and the desert. So that's one one theory. But I I do have to say that um, their the way their ears rotate, they're extremely sensitive to noise and sound. They they're kind of particularly known for that. They hear things. Uh, um, it's kind of a strange and to watch their little ears move is fascinating. I'm just right now. Um, just thinking of uh, one of my horses had, and they all seem to have that sensitivity. So that's one theory I've heard has the wet, the desert sand. And it's interesting too. I'm of Greek um, heritage, but I, I, in reading the stories of Alexander the great, who actually pushed into um, India, put, put near Pakistan with his horse, Bucephalos, the famous story of the great love between Bucephalos and Alexander the great. And they say that, he lost because of the agility of the of the horses on the other side that they used to put um the uh, the nemesis would put uh, trunks on the horses and and uh, disarm the greek horses which which would see an animal that they were not familiar with and they and the uh, older depictions say it's a horse with funny ears uh, crossed ears or hard ears <laughs> so the that whole region of where the Marwari originated from, there's a lot of right now research on that, looking at the genetic, I mean, is the Mongolian um, uh, ponies and combination, Aklatekis, and you have uh, other indigenous uh, breeds. Um, certainly, and there was a period in um, Indian history where to have a Marwari was seen as uh, not a good thing, um, and they were crossbreeding them with the British thoroughbreds, so that kind of endangered the, the breed. And, and so there have been great efforts to revive the original Marwari bloodlines. And so it's, the breed has gone through quite, quite a bit because of the wars and the cultural changes and such. So, hmm. and, it's, and they've endured. And they've endured. Well, I, we're going to post a picture. I took a picture off your website of you with your stallion, and it's it, it, oh, okay. it that's a perfect example of the ears too. And and uh, and and he's a handsy boy. Um, so we're we're going to put that <laughs> in our show notes and I encourage people to go to the uh, it's horseindian.com Actually, is the website that you were talking about earlier. Um, horseindian.com. I looked that up so you can take a look at more about the Mawari. Now, let's talk a little bit before we go, and we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I want to talk about the Pegasus Foundation, right? Tell us a little about so it. So I started a, I started a nonprofit about a year and a half ago, and uh, with the also because of my connection to the Marwari horses and and having interfaced in, in the last 10 years with people from around the world because of my work and seeing also the condition of the horses, not just here in the United States, but, but around the world. And sometimes the lack of education uh, around the responsibilities that we have towards the horse. Um, and it goes anything from just hoof management, things that we may take for granted here in this country. Um, people just because of lack of ignorance may not understand that, that there, there are ways that improvements that we've made in medicine and hoof care. And, and in a way, the responsibilities we have towards the horse when we ride them. So I started a nonprofit with the intention of educating and providing, you know, educational materials for the equestrian community, but by taking one horse at a time that we take and adopt and we, um, through a multidisciplinary team that involves of you know great farrier vets and and so forth, being able to take that horse from 
zero to to adoptable and safe and and just being able to highlight the responsibilities we have um, not to overbreed uh, uh, the responsibilities we have when we have a horse to be able to to manage their development and so we, what we do is we take these animals we uh, rehabilitate them retrain them and then promote certain ways of training and certain ways of um, uh, engaging with horses that we think should be um, continued, should have that information for the general public. And so we started that with a lot of support and uh, have right now a horse that we're trying to find a home for, and all with the intent of showing that you know the adoption process has to be it's just not uh, taking an animal, plucking it out, and then that horse will get recycled back into an auction if the right management is not taken. So an appreciation for what does it take to keep that animal safe, comfortable, physically and mentally well. What's the, what, what's the website oh, really? for that? Oh, the website is www. And it's in one word, thepegasusfoundation.org. Okay. And, and I wanted to clarify that because there's a lot of Pegasus foundations. And uh, uh, the first one I went to had a fox on it. And I knew that wasn't yours. So <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go. It also looks like it's saving animals, but not horses. Um, so, okay. No, that's based in New Jersey. Yeah. Thepegasusfoundation.org. And you said you have one that needs a home right now. Is that on the website? Uh, she's, I don't know if I posted her. It's on our Facebook, but she's a self-francais. She's a, a, a French uh, horse, a mare, and she's looking for a home. And she's, we've been able to, uh, anybody that's interested in her, she's just um, just a fantastic creature looking for her human. Wow. Aww. A self-francais shouldn't have trouble finding a human. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, well, this is great. Thank you so much for joining us today and enlightening us a little bit on uh, doing our breed highlight for us today. And you can be found, all of your different work can be found at your website, right? That's right. That's and right. that's Maria. Okay. See, Helena's better at the names than I am. Go ahead, Helena. <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? Repeat her Maria last name? Maria Katzmana? Katzmani. Well, Am I close? Yes, but we don't pronounce Katsumani. the Katsumani. Yes. That's right. Okay. It's, it's the most difficult part of the job. We'll post a link to it in our show notes, and we'll also put it on our Facebook page. Thank you, Dr. Maria. How about that? Dr. Maria, that's easy. I can do that. That's easy. Yeah, you go. always go straight. <laughs> I always go for the first names. It's much better. <laughs> we appreciate you being on. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Well, it is that time of the week when we do our product review brought to you by horselovers.com. And we have one of our terrific auditors here, as usual, who's had an opportunity to review this product. It was the Noble Outfitters Cold Front High Boots. Hi, Scary. How are you guys doing? Good. Scary is, has been with us before. You've been on before, right? Well, 
Well, only once by accident because of I won the book uh, during the um, uh, radiothon. Oh, that's right. Okay, good, good, good. Well, that is that scary goes by scary. We found out we won't tell anybody what his real name is, <laughs> we but we win. Stories have started out yes. once by accident. Once by accident. Hey. <laughs> that's hey, true. Hey, really it's not. scary with two R's, though. You got to remember that. Okay, scary with two R's. <laughs> don't don't confuse me with the other scaries out there. And scary, you've been a listener forever, right? I mean, long time. Yeah, I was trying to think back, and uh, I mean, way back, and when Hidden was still in the bad sound days. <laughs> Thanks for reminding <sighs> me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's it's Colleen and I have never had thing. bad sound days on this show. <laughs> no, no, that's true. That's true. You guys, you guys have always had good sound, but it's kind of like, well, let's see, how long has it been? I goes, well, it was back when the sound used to sound like an AM radio. <laughs> 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 All right, Scary, we're going to review a product, Noble Outfitters Cold Front Boots. Tell us about them. Well, I for beginners, and I've never got this before with a pair, I guess we call them rubber boots or knee boots. Every person that looked at them goes, those are nice boots. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, nice People boots. are noticing like your them, feet, but... Scary. <laughs> What's that? You walk in a room and all the ladies look at your toes. Well, well the first thing I do, I walk in and I show my mom and goes, those. You look good in those. I'm like, what the heck does that come from? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to become a boot model. That's what I'm going to do. (laughs) Noble Outfitters will be happy to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, at some point, I'm going to get you a picture. (laughs) Let me let you guys in on a little secret. Yeah. All women check out men's shoes. Really? We do. It tells us a lot. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, we check out your shoes. What's a guy with frumpy sneakers say? What? What's what? When you see a guy with frumpy sneakers, then what do you think? Uh, <laughs> frumpy. <laughs> yeah, frumpy. That'd be me. That's for another podcast network. <laughs> no, you think? No, thanks. I'll pass. Well, that's the story of my life, right there, scary. No, thanks. I'll pass. Well, well that's like well, you know, like a pair of mom jeans. You know, you don't. You you just. But the, 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 honestly, the way people, it's like turnout, okay? You go into the show ring and you need to be properly turned out. And the better turned out you are, the better chances you are of getting the prize. So, <laughs> you know, a nice pair of boots. It doesn't have to be fancy. Like, if somebody walked in, if Scary walked into a party wearing these boots, and I'd be like, who's that dude? Nice boots. <laughs> he must have something interesting to say. Oh, now I got to start down there with my party boots. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go, scary. Your you party boots, your rubber party boots. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I will. You know, now I'm thinking about whenever I've got my field boots on, my 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 tall boots. Like everybody's like, wow. Well, and since I'm the only guy there, I mean, my whole barn, I'm one guy. And it's like everybody comments on the boots, and I go, well, I just figured because it took half a cow to make each one. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, these boots are made of neoprene, obviously. They're rubber boots, 100% waterproof. Yeah. Did you find them to be 100% waterproof? They are 100% waterproof. I was standing to the top of them just uh, yesterday in 52-degree in water. Okay, and now the problem with some of these rubber boots, and we've all had them, is that they just don't fit quite right. They never, because, you know, with leather boots and even with sneakers and stuff, they kind of meld to your foot and they kind of become your foot shape after a while and they fit comfy. What did you find with these? Well, when I first got them, (laughs) let's start, let's remember back here. Uh, When I first got them, they were small. And I called Noble and I go, guys, um, 
you know, these things feel like 12s. They don't feel like 13s. And, and the person I got a hold of said, yes, that batch we had problems with, and they are, uh, I think they said they were narrow. They felt like they were small in all directions, but it was the 13th because I've got that giant foot. All the other ones don't have this problem, from what I understand. Okay. Uh, so it, it, it made it kind of it made it kind of difficult in that area, but then again, when it starts getting really cold out, which are what these boots are made for, by the way, you don't want to wear these on a warm day. You'll just cook yourself. Uh, they fit a lot better when it's cold. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe my foot swing shrinks when it gets that cold. I don't know. But the other thing is, is, is the leg of this boot. It's really neat because usually your rubber boots or boots like this have got real floppy uh, tops to them, you know, when you walk, you hear a flop, 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 and it's the, the, the top of the boot hitting your leg. And these things are a, a very, uh, uh, I would say, tight fit. I don't want to say the word tight, but I can't think of a better word right now. I mean, they really contour to your leg. They're fitted. They're fitted, yeah. Yes, fitted, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, you're lucky if you can get two fingers between, the, actually, it stops about that, two fingers between the boot and, and your leg. See, it, now, I about like the most. That. Because if it's, well, you know, when you do have man-made materials, like you said, it doesn't always conform to your feet. And if you don't get a perfect fit, the least you could do is ask for a snug fit. Yeah. And, and I, I, at first I'm thinking, and then I, I started getting used to them. And what's neat is like when you're uh, picking feet or something, you know, if you're wearing rubber boots with a big open top, guess where everything you just picked out of foot goes? <laughs> Every <laughs> single time. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, it's just like flop, flop. Uh, and every time I'm wearing these boots and I'm doing it, it's like, ha ha, I beat you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So these so have, it, these have the reinforced toe. Um, and are they, uh, the tread, do they, you know, are they made for mud? Do they have the mud tread or are they fairly smooth on the bottom? They've got a really good lug to them, a really good tread and they're thick. Uh, like your other, uh, neoprene boots out there. I mean, they've, they've usually got a good tread, but these things, you feel like you're a half an inch taller in them than other boots. Okay, cool. Very good. And so would you recommend them? Foot to them? Yes, uh, but with, with um, kind of a... These things are really, really warm. And if you are not in, or at least for me, if you're not in cold weather, you need lesser of a boot. These things just get hot. In fact, uh, this weekend, I was standing in 52-degree water up as high as I could, and my feet were still barbecuing in them. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's good yeah. to know. Well, the neoprene, man, that's like that's the stuff that ice ice fishermen wear when they stick their hands in the ice, right? Like, neoprene yeah, is some yeah. serious um, heat just does not escape. And so, so you'd have to wear cotton socks, I would imagine, if your feet are going to warm up to the point where they might get a little sweaty. You probably we, need to put something that's I know who dump. needs these. We had a guest on this morning on the Horses in the Morning show who is from uh, uh, from Washington State, and she had so much snow that the snow is over the five-foot fences. Wow. And oh her, so there you go. She could use these boots right now. Well, they're built, yeah. as, they're built as cold front boots. So yeah. the idea is, yes, to, yes. You, it just so happens. I don't know where you are, Scary, but, you know, I'm in the Northeast and we've had one of the warmest winters on record. So I'm, you know, I'm That's not That's due to change any minute now. You still have March to go yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and we've been in the 70s for the past five days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that I mean, it's just really been a really weak winter. It gets super cold here. It just hasn't this year. Well, I mean, can... and the, the, the time I really put the boots to the test is when I was out at the barn 
working, and, and you know how when you got your paddock boots on, there's only nothing between your foot and the, the floor, and that cold concrete just kind of starts eating away at the bottom of your feet, and I finally got to the point where I couldn't feel my feet, and I go, hey, I've got a great pair of boots that would solve this problem. So I go out to the Jeep and grab the, the, the Noble Outfitters and put them on, and it's just like, I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to get any colder in these, but then I start warming up in these. Yeah. Well, so... So it, I mean, they are and in, in the back of my head the whole time. I'm thinking, I go, these things would be great with a dry suiter if you're a crab fisherman, you know, like deadliest catch or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they narrow enough to fit into a stirrup or are these primarily oh, a yeah, barn that's a good boot? Question. I think you can ride. I, I didn't try riding in them cause I just, I don't When I ride, I like to be in, in a pair of paddock boots. I, I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to try these one time, but then I, I never did. I think, yes, they're narrower than most rubber boots. You can make it work if you wanted to. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. The only thing is, like I said, these things got a little bit thicker tread, so they're a little taller. So one, you might short lengthen your stirrups or or something. But uh, yeah, I think you could ride in these. All right, very good. You can find them at horselovers.com. It's the Noble Outfitters Men's Muds Cold Front High Boot. They have them on sale right now as of Tuesday when we're recording this for uh, $99.95, so the right price as well. Thank you, Scary, for joining us and for uh, helping us review these boots. Well, thanks for, you know, being there, guys. <laughs> well, I want to mention while you're on here, if you are not an auditor yet, like scary. Then, I am. Yeah, you are. But if, oh, if I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm talking sorry. to the He's people the out family. there, if they're not auditors yet, <laughs> they should consider it because uh, Horse Lovers has just started compiling the list, the next list of products for review over the next year. And you're going to want to have the opportunity to get free products to review it, just like scary got a hundred. $100 pair of boots for free. So that's how you can do it. You become an auditor. We post it in there, and then people people hop on and get products to review. So that's going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks. So if you've thought about being an auditor for as little as a dollar a month, you can do it right now. Head over to StableScoop.com, click on the auditor banner, and you too can become an auditor. And one, you get to be in the very cool auditor room. And two, oh, yes. you get... You, you get to have input into the shows because we're always posting in there for questions or feedback or things like that. And then three, you get to try out the products. So there's a lot of benefits to becoming an auditor. Uh, and I think you'd, you'd back that up, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. It's like the happy place. You know, the auditor, you, once you get in there, you don't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it is a happy place. That is true. Yeah. Right. It really is. Except for guys named Scary, who we're just not quite sure about. But uh, we allow them in well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and then my lovely rant, I get in there. Everybody needs <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Scary. Thanks, Thanks Scary. a lot, guys. Take care. Well, Helena, we're going to miss you this year at PodFest. I, uh, you were down last year for it. It was so much fun to hang out with you and the clan. Yes, I am certainly going to miss all of the... Wonderful people who put on PodFest. Chris uh, Kermitsos, another Greek, by the way, uh, has been working non. I can say his name, though, has been working nonstop on this. And uh, this year, we had about, what, 120 or 30 last year, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. at PodFest. This year, he has tickets sold for 400 Lovely. So podcasting is just taking off. Uh, there are more and more people. I know we've had, in the last week, I've had one, two, three, four, five, five people ask me about new shows for the Horse Radio Network. So I think that, you know, it's just turned the corner. I know you've seen it. Uh, there's a very good episode, by the way. I hope you catch it. 
for School of Podcasting. My buddy Dave Jackson did one this this week on on local podcasts. I, I hope you get a chance to listen to that because it directly applies to your show. Uh, and that there's a whole section, there's a whole panel this time for the first time I've ever seen at a podcasting conference on local podcasting because I think local is is becoming very popular. And of course, you have one. Yes, I have a local podcast that focuses on Newport, Rhode Island, America's favorite and I think most romantic city by the sea. I agree because we had our honeymoon there. So that makes it so. The king says so. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So you can find that at thatnewportshow.com is where you go to take a listen to that. And uh, that's about it for today. All of our past episodes can be found at stablescoop.com. And we want to thank our sponsors. You know, without them, we wouldn't have a network. And we have horselovers.com. Our friend, Uncle Jimmy, who's been with us since, I think, the very beginning. And Fairfield North in, in Lexington. Fairfield in North in Lexington, Kentucky. That's it, Helena. You can say goodbye now. You're always confused. You can say it now. (laughs) Thank you very much. Goodbye, everybody. There will be more next week when we're back with another episode of Stable Scoop. Until then, happy scooping.